if we're simply relying on people like myself or others that go out you know, and pick up the coastline uh, by hand, we've lost. We are at the end of a very long stream and we are simply trying to mitigate the worst impacts of these materials. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Uh, you know, when you think of Miami, you don't necessarily think of, at least I don't, of, you know, environmentalism or uh, adventure sports, really. I think of, you know, the Miami Heat and that whole, you know, Miami Miami Vice culture. And I've been down there quite a bit, you know, being from Florida, but I haven't done a ton of outdoor things around there. Miami does back up to the Everglades, which is this massive expanse of wilderness. It's a huge, huge national park uh, that preserves a lot of incredibly unique land. But it's also kind of an intimidating place um, just because it's so swampy. There's a lot of things that can kill you. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty intimidating, honestly. <laughs> uh, but Andrew Otazo is born and raised in southwest Florida. He's the son of Cuban immigrants, and he has made it his mission to kayak and bike and and run around the Miami area and making it as absolutely clean as possible. And so far over the last few years, he has been kayaking to different keys, which are essentially small islands all around the Miami area and the Key Biscayne area that are filled with these mangroves. It's a type of tree that grows and it kind of acts as like a, its roots act as a filter between the water and land on these islands. And so they trap a lot of trash, trap a lot of, of garbage. Literally, Andrew is kayaking around to these places and hauling off thousands of pounds of trash from island to island and is doing this mostly on his own. And he's filming it, putting it on YouTube. And so today we're going to really just talk to him about that experience, what it has been like, and, and how you can help, how you can do something in your community. Uh, you know, I, I just commend him for taking action. You know, a lot of us talk about things we want to do, whether it's a venture or, or, or making a change of some sort, uh, myself included. I'm a big talker, uh, but not always, you know, one to take action. So Andrew's taking action. He's already done a ton, and I can't imagine how much more he's going to get done in his lifetime. So I'm excited to have him on and just talk about the impact he's had. And if you don't mind, I would I would really appreciate it if you just followed Andrew. He's on Instagram. He's on YouTube. His videos are awesome. And I, I just encourage you uh, to be inspired by him. So without further ado, here's Andrew. Welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, absolutely. I know we were talking a little before, but I actually didn't ask um, where. I always ask this first, by the way. Where are you coming from, and uh, and where is home for you? Because that's not always the same place with a lot of guests on the show. Right. Uh, well, I was born and raised in Miami, and I am very lucky to also be talking to you from South Florida. Oh man, so you're you're also a fellow Floridian. I'm from Central Florida, kind of like Orlando area originally. Um, so yeah, it's great to talk to somebody else on, on this part in this part of the country. So <laughs> right. you know, 
honestly, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I guess we could say, I know what you do now with, you know, the trash cleanups and the kayaking and the adventures. I know you do other things too. You do through hiking and summiteering all over the world. I've seen videos of you in like Switzerland and whatnot. So I'd love to hear, you know, what was your kind of outdoor story growing up? Were you a part of an outdoor family, adventurous family, or did you, did you find it on your own? Yeah, sure. It's it's funny you mentioned Switzerland because I'm actually wearing my Mount Palatum shirt right now. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I love the outdoors. I love everything about them. I love like being out in them every season of the year. It doesn't matter cold weather, hot weather, weather, whatever. But yeah, so growing up in Miami, the son of Cuban refugees, I wasn't really encouraged to go outdoors very much. I would say uh, it's not really part of the culture. Um, but I don't know, just being in the presence or being very near to so many incredible, um, just different habitats and ecosystems here in South Florida. And I'm just, I I tell people I'm like a, a like recklessly curious person. So I would just go at 13 years old. I would just start walking to the mangroves essentially, uh, with absolutely no experience and no knowledge of what I was doing and then get eaten alive by mosquitoes. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, so I learned, uh, quickly, but I've, I have, I spent a lot of time in North Carolina as a kid in, uh, the, uh, Asheville, Hendersonville area. So, you know, oh, I was introduced gosh. to, oh yeah, I love that area. What, would you, what was that? What were you doing up there? Was it like family vacation or did you know people up there? I worked at a summer camp. Really? I worked at a sleepaway summer camp out there. Yeah. It's called Camp Pinnacle. And if you've ever seen the movie Heavyweights with Ben Stiller, it was filmed in part right there on uh, on the grounds of Camp Pinnacle. So, wow. uh, th- yeah. But, you know, that introduced me to a whole range of different outdoor activities that I wasn't exposed to here in South Florida, like mountain biking and hiking and rock climbing and um, kayaking, uh, whitewater kayaking. Um, and so that was that really just solidified my love of nature. And I've done all sorts of different activities outdoors. So, you know, I've run, I think, five marathons. Um, and then I've done like a bunch of different uh, adventure sports. So adventure races, uh, triathlons, uh, let's see, like mountain biking races, uh, regular road races. But also, you know, I hike and bike long distances. Uh, I do free diving I, you know, basically anything I can do outdoors. <laughs> I've done some skiing. I, I know you're from, or you spent some time in Denver. So I actually, you know, went out there and, you know, we went to like Breckenridge and, and Loving, uh, and we did some skiing out there and that's not my forte. Um, I am definitely not a natural skier, but, uh, I enjoy nonetheless. And yeah, I just do everything I can outdoors. Yeah, you do everything. It sounds like everything that it, <laughs> you can water ski at least down in Miami. But no, dude, I, I, I'll cut this. But um, my family is originally, originally from Brevard, North Carolina. So oh, right yeah. next to Hendersonville. And so I yes, spent every I've summer. Yes, I spent a lot of time in Brevard. Yeah. That is so cool. So that was also my own, like, only introduction for the first 20 years of my life to the mountains. And so that was uh, very influential as well. So it's tons of parallels here. So, you know, for, for doing all these things down in Miami, are you, do you, do you feel like an anomaly down there or is it, or is there a real culture of outdoor enthusiasts in, in the Miami area? 
there's definitely a very strong culture of certain types of outdoor activities. Um, so definitely when it comes to running, for sure. Uh, cycling. Um, hmm. So road biking, for sure. Uh, especially in the area that I'm in, uh, Key Biscayne. So this is basically like the road biking mecca of South Florida. Uh, it's It's got, you know, some areas have like nice protected bike lanes. Uh, it's very well established. You see Pelotons out there every morning. Um, so in, in those kinds of, I guess, more accessible, uh, type of outdoor activities, certainly. Um, there's also a large ocean kayaking community here for sure. And like, uh, stand up paddle boarders as well. Um, and then there's a much smaller group of, I'd say like swamp hikers, for example, um, like myself, um, people that, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I know exactly what that means. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, uh, there, there's different flavors. Um, I'm a mangrove man myself. Um, I obviously love the mangroves. I spend a lot of time in there, but there are plenty of people that spend lots of time in the Everglades, uh, big Cypress or a little farther South or, um, all over the place really. Um, so that's, that's like a more, I guess that's, that's not as accessible to most people. It's, it's a bit more dangerous obviously than going out for a jog. Um, but there's definitely a community here. There's definitely a group of people. Um, I, I'd say there's, there's also a very large portion of the population that really loves the, um, the local environment. So, you know, we're a coastal city. We have, uh, you know, the Everglades out West. We have the mangroves along the shoreline. We have, uh, what's left of like subtropical savannas and subtropical forests here and there. Um, it's, it's very diverse and there's definitely a community of people that really, really appreciate it for sure down here. That's awesome to hear. Cause, cause you know, for folks that don't know, Miami feels like another state versus the rest of the state. It's like, you, you have to drive through <laughs> yeah. a lot of emptiness to get to Miami, not in its, in its beautiful, you know, wilderness, essentially, uh, if you're coming from other parts of Florida. So it's, it's great to know that in this huge city, that's surrounded by, you know, really on all four sides by beautiful beaches to, to the, you know, Everglades National Park to the Keys. It's, it's great to know people are taking advantage of it and there's a culture of it there. Um, so what really kind of drew me in to want to talk to you is, you know, seeing you per- not only participate in all these sports, but also this initiative that you started taking with literally just hauling trash out of islands, out of mangroves, out of the ocean out of the, you know, uh, while you're hiking, <laughs> can I talk wherever to I can about, find it? Yeah. You're, you're, you're an amateur mangrove trash collector is how you describe yourself on Instagram. <laughs> and I just want to hear like, when did that start and why did it start? Uh, it started in earnest. Well, let me rewind a little bit. So to date I've removed, uh, 13,360, I think I'm at two pounds of trash from the coastline um and i've been doing this for three years uh that's when it really started in earnest and uh the reason why is because again going back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation i've been visiting our mangroves and exploring them since i was 13 and you know i it is an incredible incredible environment um for your listeners who haven't experienced uh hiking through a mangrove forest it is 
surreal. Um, it can be dangerous uh, because you have mosquitoes and quicksand and not really the wildlife, but definitely heat exhaustion and, and dehydration you have to look out for. But so I'd go out there and I'd be enthralled by this incredible, beautiful habitat. But everywhere you looked and everywhere you stepped, and I mean like literally everywhere, every square foot had trash. It, it looked like a landfill and trash that had accumulated for decades. I've found stuff from the 40s, from the 30s, and of course all the way up until now. And it was just, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go into this environment looking for a sense of peace and some, uh, you know, searching for an ability to like center myself, but I'd leave angry every time. <laughs> I'd be so upset by the oh time I God. left. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I'm sh- I'm sure you do. And I'm sure lots of your listeners do as well. Um, if, you know, they spend any uh, meaningful time outdoors, they know that there's trash everywhere. And um, it, it just does a horrendous, it, it causes so much damage um, to all sorts of different environments, everything from coastal environments to alpine environments. Um, and so as I got older and I educated myself on, you know, what a keystone habitat the mangroves are because they really are just so, so important um, for everything from reef fish, like the vast majority of reef fish that you find out there have their juvenile stages in the roots of the mangroves to, you know, coastal birds. Um, it serves as such as an, an important rookery to all sorts of different marine birds, um, egrets, uh, herons, uh, you know, rose uh, spoonbills, everything you can imagine. Most, a lot of them are born and raised in the mangroves. And when that trash breaks down over time, they ingest it um, by accident. They mistake it for food and that poisons them or that kills them kinetically. And uh, yeah, I got so upset. And three years ago, I just said, you know, obviously I reached out to a bunch of different people trying to bring attention to this, but nothing happened. And I just said to myself, you know, no one's doing anything. So I'm going to go do something. And I started methodically picking up trash and I've been at it ever since. And I've been very, very um, surprised that anybody cared. Uh, I would post these videos. I would record myself doing it more just to like, have a record for myself of how much trash I was picking up every day. But, you know, I posted on social media and people actually cared. And I was extremely surprised by that. Um, And yeah, that's the story. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, Aftershocks. Uh, If you've seen me at all in the last two years plus, uh, I'm pretty much wearing these headphones 24-7. Unfortunately, some nights I actually am wearing them 24 hours because I fall asleep with them probably two nights a week. Um, but they are these Aftershock headphones. And, and, and the reason is they're so stinking comfortable and convenient. I honestly forget they're on. And thankfully, they're waterproof. So, you know, I've walked into the shower probably 30 times in the last two years just wearing these and totally forget I'm wearing them until I wash my hair. It's crazy. I'm, I'm not even joking about this. Uh, but what they do is they, they rest on your ear and they rest in front of your ear, not actually in your ear canal. So what that allows 
and you can hear a podcast, you can talk on the phone, you can listen to music, but it's not blocking noise from your ear. So it's incredibly, it's an incredibly safe feature, whether you're, you know, a cyclist or a runner out on your kayak, um, you know, watching some, watching your kids or needing to listen on a job site or at work, you don't have to actually um, turn the stuff, turn the music off or turn the podcast off or take something out of your ear. I've, I've honestly, it's been a game changer for me. I just got another pair, my second pair ever. I totally wore out my first pair, just literally wearing them every single day for two and a half years. Um, if you'd like to try a pair, they're giving all Adventure Sports Podcast listeners 15% off. Uh, just go to this, uh, go to our show notes. There's a link. Click on that. They give you a unique discount code. Then you can, then you can use that at their website. But uh, yeah, if you want to learn more, just go to the show notes. Aftershocks headphones. I've, I've honestly can't, you know, express enough how much I've enjoyed mine. Uh, so I'm going to be buying them for, you know, foreseeable future. That's for sure. All right. Back to the episode. You know, you're, you, you, to face something that feels so overwhelming, I'm sure was, a, you know, it's a challenge every time you go out, but a challenge to, you know, one, get started. What what did you start doing? Because you said it was methodical. Um, it's a methodical um, kind of uh, strategy. What does that mean, and how did it start? Sure. So I've concentrated my efforts on the upper Biscayne Bay area here in South Florida, um, specifically on Key Biscayne, um, on Bearcut Preserve, West Point Mangrove Preserve, and to a lesser extent, oh, also the ocean, the coastline offshore, because mm-hmm. um, I do free dive, trash dive, uh, and also to a lesser extent, Virginia Key. And I concentrate on areas that are not accessible, not easily accessible, um, because we already have a lot of great organizations here in South Florida that do uh, beach cleanups. Um, so, you know, there's fill a bag, there's, uh, all sorts of different groups that go out there and keep our coastline. At least the beach is pretty clean, but it's much, much, much more difficult to go into these other environments like the mangroves and, and take out the trash there. So that's, that's my niche. That's my competitive advantage. So that's what I focus on. And I would just go out every day. Well, not every day, but like <laughs> when I could beginning three years ago and, just, you know, pick up one section of the coastline of the mangroves and just work my way north. And then once I cleaned up the entire coastline, then I went into the interior. And I basically, uh, you know, you build a puzzle first by like doing the border and then you fill in the middle. So that's exactly what I did. And the middle part is also the most difficult part because that's the thickest mangroves and that's the most difficult area to get in and out of. Um, and yeah, I've just been at it ever since. And, you know, I've, occasionally i'll find these other areas that are just just laden with trash um so as an avid kayaker i'm constantly seeing these uh these basically trash fields that pile up on the coastline uh they concentrate in certain areas because of the dynamics of the rip currents and storm surges and also they're very remote so you know i'll come across i came across this island called bird key and I realized that there are like 500 bird keys all around Florida. So this is yeah. a very yeah, particular are. bird key. <laughs> you know, it served as a rookery, still does, for thousands of birds. And it was just completely covered in trash. So I said, okay, I'll take my kayak out there and I'll pick it up. 
and it took me four days and I removed 1,670 pounds of trash and now it's clean. And those birds or, you know, at least the next generation doesn't have to worry as much about ingesting plastic when they're out there. So you were able to completely tackle this entire key. Oh my! God. I mean, it's not huge. No, but <laughs> it's still, still a gigantic like, island. And so, in like, like at this point, you tell me once you get it to that point, say you know, if someone wanted to check in on it in a year, would it be just easier to get the trash that may have been collected by the mangroves at that point, rather than trying to constantly get the stuff that's ten, twenty, thirty, forty years old? Oh yeah, it's so much easier uh, to do maintenance. On these areas because you know like you said this trash has been out there for decades and the mangrove the mangrove roots go around it it gets buried it just gets tangled up and super dirty and the plastic you know it spends enough time out there then it just gets whittled down to the point that it looks like if it breaks apart like paper like tissue paper mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and you essentially have plastic dust um so once you go through oh and also you have like really really big items out there um like you know just a couple weeks ago i took out a 200 pound latex block that you know some storm surge had uh, had floated pretty deep into the mangroves but once you get out those larger items and you take out that older trash then yeah it becomes much easier because you know every high tide brings more trash but it'll deposit it on the top of you know whatever the seaweed or the sand and it'll be much easier to find. It'll be much easier to pick. Anyone out there that's never been in a mangrove or dealt with mangroves, there, I don't even know how to describe them. It's like a filter on oh, that, that that transitions the the water to land, and it's almost impossible to walk in. Impo- it, yeah. It's like trying. It's imagine like lasers that are protect like in a cartoon that are protecting something. Pressure. There's just lasers going everywhere. But those are roots, and you got to kind of crawl through all that to get to things we went and did a trash cleanup in mangroves a few weeks ago and even with like six foot pickers you know the picker things it was impossible to get to some of those locations so i can't imagine it's not just getting it out pulling it up off the ground it's having to navigate it through this this really difficult terrain I, i mean how how do you get to these places you get these places via kayak and you have to carry all this stuff out on the kayak yeah, so for like the island, yeah, that there's only one way in, and that's a kayak. Um, luckily for like Bear Cut Preserve or West Point Mangrove Preserve, I can hike in. Um, but you know, the downside is that I then have to hike the trash out, <laughs> and that, that is by far the hardest part of what I do. Um, picking the trash is you know hard, but it's not that hard uh, compared to just putting like a 60 pound bag of trash across your shoulders and carrying it through this obstacle course of, of like never ending obstacle course of mangrove roots. Um, it is, uh, it is an incredible workout and I have definitely fallen quite a few times. It, it is very difficult. Um, and depending on, you know, the maturity of the forest through which you're walking, uh, there's some areas, you know, that you can't even walk through the trees. You can't like, for those that live up north and maybe live in, I don't know, conifer forest or uh, whatever, oak forest, um, you don't walk through the trees. You you like climb 
across the roots to the point where like mm-hmm. you don't even step foot on land you're you're like three four five feet above the ground uh just again like an obstacle course just trying to make your way through and you're having to dig down and get that water bottle that's lodged way <laughs> yes. down in there <laughs> yeah yeah or whatever that car battery that some crazy how wound up in there Jeez. So, so, so yeah, tell us this, what, what is most of what you're finding and, you know, maybe, maybe some of the unique things that you found too. Yeah. I've found a lot of water bottles. That's probably the most common item out there. Um, at least in the area where I pick up, uh, of course that comes with bottle caps. Um, there's also like beer bottles and all that sorts of material, but also, uh, lots of the plastic bags, um, a lot of clothes, uh, so shirts, caps, a lot of underwear, unfortunately. Oof. Yeah, it's not the best. But uh, also, you know, for anyone who happens to be, you know, a crab or lobster trapper out there, I find so many traps, so many out there every time, you know, 12, 20 traps, um, or at least the the part of the trap, the, the plastic part, the mouth through which the crabs or the lobsters come in um, every single time. And just thousands and thousands and thousands of, of feet of marine rope just tangled up in the mangroves. And that's, again, usually trappers, you know, set their trap um, and maybe they forget it or maybe a storm comes in and, uh, you know, moves it. And then over time, it just makes its way inland. But I, it's all over the coastline my goodness lots of water bottles that makes sense those float they're resilient there's just unfortunately billions of them um the traps also make sense it's unfortunate but yeah you get out there and you just forget about them or they wash they move around uh anything really unusual or anything you've ever had to (laughs) you know call authorities on you know what i'm saying (laughs) i haven't called I haven't had to call the police yet. I have, I, I've been definitely worried that I would. Um, and yes, I've found some very, very odd things out there. Let me think. So beyond just like really crazy items, like, you know, I found the rudder for a sailboat or like an entire 200 pound dinghy or like this giant block of latex I just told you about and all sorts of car parts for some reason. So tires and bumpers and car batteries and all sorts of nasty stuff but uh let me think what's like oh uh yeah found a body bag Uh, (laughs) that's the one luckily no body in it but uh yeah that was i was really worried when i started unearthing it i thought it was just like you know just like a little corner of a bag sticking out of the mud you're like oh okay whatever maybe that's a purse um I started pulling up and it just kept bigger, kept getting bigger and bigger. And I was just hoping to God that there would be nothing inside. And luckily there wasn't. But uh, yeah, that was a little worrisome. I found needles out there. Um, not too too many. Every, like, maybe like a handful. Um, and used condoms. Um, you know, people go out there and do whatever they do. And then they don't clean up after themselves. So then I come along and clean up and uh use diapers that's that's really that's really really like infuriating um because you know you can i can differentiate between items that storm surges and the tides bring in it kind of has like a pattern 
But I, the second that I see an area where, you know, people have left their trash, it's immediately no, noticeable. Like there's a particular pattern of how they leave all their stuff. And, you know, boaters will come in to a restricted area and they just leave all of their crap. Um, I mean, like like tents and barbecues and obviously um, all sorts of plastic items. So plastic bottles and beer cans and whatever and used diapers, like 50 used diapers. So clearly this person had been coming back for a while. And that is really, really infuriating. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever caught someone in the act of dumping some trash or throwing something out and you're and you're oh, coming yeah. along with your kayak loaded down? Yeah. Um, or usually, again, usually I'm like <laughs> like emerging out of the mangroves covered in mangrove, I don't know, stuff and wearing camo. And I might have a knife or I might have like a machete on my hip. And yeah, people who leave quickly when that happens. Um, and I, I tell them again, like the county allows me to to work in these protected natural areas. I have a good working relationship with them, but people aren't supposed to be in there because they cause damage to these areas in a variety of different ways. So, you know, when I come in, and I'm like, you can't be here. Um, <laughs> then, yeah, they usually listen and they leave. And, you know, if they they pretend like they don't speak English. Well, then I'll say it in Spanish and then I'll say it in Portuguese and then I'll oh, say it in geez. French. Oh, so gosh, that, dang, Andrew, you so got that, your bases covered. That's awesome. Yes, I do. Um, so that they know that they need to leave. Wow. So you, you mentioned something there about people intentionally leaving trash and then also the storm surges. That's, you know, that that's a real thing. It's this churning water that that's flowing in and out along with tides, along with the Gulf Stream. Um, how much of the trash do you think is just accidental versus uh, intentional? I think by volume, probably most of it is accidental. It's again, most of it comes from the street. So there'll be trash that gets collected or gets tossed away on, I don't know, whatever street in Miami. And then when the rains come, all that trash goes right into the gutter and that goes directly into the bay. Um, there's no filtering at all to speak of. And so that's the majority of it. Um, and again, because I happen to work in more remote areas, I don't that often come across these collections where people have just left their stuff. But um, at least not recently. But again, like this area hadn't been cleaned ever. <laughs> um, so, you know, I found campsites dating back to like the 70s. Um, and like, I'd find like these old beer bottles that you kind of, you'd have to like pierce twice in order to drink from. Um, yeah, those are old. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And like all sorts of, oh God, I'm, ugh, I'm not even going to get into it, but, uh, yeah, most of it comes in with just the high tides. Most of it is either come, you know, comes directly from the city or comes from whatever, some cargo ship that, you know, either, on purpose or by accident, dumps its trash into the ocean that washes in. Regardless of its origin, it's all infuriating because, you know, the whatever the the leatherback turtle that gets you know strangled by fishing wire doesn't matter doesn't care if it came from you know whatever Brickle, uh, which is a neighborhood here in Miami, or if some angler just left it out in the ocean for no reason. Right. Yeah, I guess the uh 
the intention doesn't matter. It's the effect. It's the effect of it being out there. For for someone who's in the kind of on the front lines of, of doing something, of taking action, of seeing a problem and wanting to do something about it, what what do you do to maintain you know, not being overwhelmed. Because for me, you know, looking at this, it can be completely overwhelming. And the quickest way to eliminate that is to take action. And and to be able to say bird key is now clean is pretty phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? What are strategies you take to to make it manageable in your mind to where you can continue to take action? Uh, I, I personalize it. So yes, though, I can clean the same stretch of coastline 20 times and, you know, every time there will be more trash because the next high tide brings, you know, even more stuff. I know that the fact that I've removed this volume of trash means that somewhere out there, there's some animal that's alive and healthy that wouldn't otherwise be. So, you know, whether that's a seagull or a hermit crab or, or, um, a mangrove snapper or pelican, there's something out there that's alive that be directly because of my work. Um, and, and that makes all the difference. So, you know, I look at every single piece of trash individually. Um, and I go, and I think to myself, what damage could this do? Um, you know, if, you know, I, I remove, I don't know, again, going back to the car battery, like taking out that car battery, I hate the entire time I was thinking to myself, the incredible damage that these chemicals and just the plastic housing itself can do to its environment. And now that it's being removed, it's not going to do that anymore. So that's how I do it. Um, I guess that's how I keep myself motivated. Um, but I guess more broadly, my work that I do is not an end to itself. So I am very clear eyed about how plastic pollution works and you know, the sources of that pollution. So if we're simply relying on people like myself or others that go out, you know, and pick up the coastline uh, by hand, we've lost, essentially. That, like, <laughs> we are at the end of a very long stream, and we are simply trying to mitigate the worst impacts of these materials, so what needs to happen is that we need to go as far up that stream as possible. So I'm talking not just to consumers, you know, not just telling individuals, hey, you need to recycle, you need to throw away your trash, you need to use less plastic, whatever. Um, although that's an important aspect, but go even farther up. So talk to the manufacturers, talk to the bottlers, talk to the, um, the uh, producers of the plastic itself, and then go above them to legislators. So, you know, I usually end a lot of my uh, videos and a lot of my content by saying, like, talk to your local representatives um, to, you know, implement legislation or regulations that would lessen the impact of plastic pollution. That's the whole point. You want to go as far up as possible and stop it at source. And the work that I do is a means to that end. It's to grab people's attention. It's to like, <laughs> yeah, it's a very, it's very shareable content because people will see it and, you know, they'll get struck by the fact that I've been going out there for coming up on, th you know, over three years now, and I'm just dedicated to this, but I'm, tr it's just a gateway to introduce people to the larger problem and what they can do about it. Um, it's not like, I just want 
everyone to go out there and clean up their coastline or I want everyone to share my videos. I want, I do want them to share my videos, but it's just to galvanize them to learn more about this huge problem and how it can actually be solved. You know, I will say I'm talking to you because of the videos. So you put together these, you know, mediums that, that work in today's world and it grabs that, it, it gets the attention. I see your free dives. I see you pulling huge cords of rope, just, you know, thousands of pounds of trash literally out of the, out of the earth, out of the ocean. And uh, yeah, it is the end of that line um, before it can do for, further damage. Uh, but your advocacy work on the other end is, is arguably more important. Um, so what, what, what are some of the effects that you've seen on the community? Are you surprised by the attention it's getting or surprised by uh, the reaction at all? Yes, I, I'm still quite surprised by it. How so? Um, because I just thought, you know, I'm this guy going out into a swamp to pick up trash. Why on earth would anybody care? Um, that, is <laughs> right. not, that is not compelling uh, footage I'm taking. I'm not like, you know, flipping a BMX bike upside down or anything. Um, like I'm just some dude who spends a whole lot of time being really sweaty you know, out in these environments. Um, and yeah, I was absolutely shocked that anybody cared and still am to this day. And I am very thankful for, you know, all the support that people have given me. Um, and I am, again, I'm just like a smaller part in a much, much larger machine. Um, there's all sorts of different organizations here in South, not just in South Florida, but everywhere. But, you know, again, I'm focused here on South Florida. Um, that work to remedy this problem. And I'm just another part of that. Um, and, you know, so, you know, I collaborate with all sorts of different organizations. Um, for instance, Miami Waterkeeper. Uh, you know, last year uh, I recruited a team to pull a giant uh, cart of, filled with mangrove trash and shaped to look like a fish. And we pulled it through the Miami Marathon. And the 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 year before I carried... 35 pounds of trash, mangrove trash on my back through the marathon. And this is all to raise funds for Miami Waterkeeper, who can do a lot of the work that I can't. So they can file briefs. They can, uh, you know, go to subcommittee hearings in the, you know, Florida Senate, um, and they can do that work. And again, like my role is, or what I'm good at, is I can go out there, I can put the trash, I can lead group cleanups, and I can talk to individuals like you. Um, to try to inform a larger audience. But, you know, I can't do everything and I don't do everything. There's plenty of other people here who do a tremendous amount of work to try to mitigate this problem. Well, you're one person doing what they can and uh, connecting these dots and putting these, pro you know, the, these these people in action, garnering the attention. Yeah, doing doing your part. Um, what What is your ultimate hope that you've feel like you can realistically achieve in, in your lifetime for your area, uh, for your home? I would like to be able to walk into the mangroves and not see trash. That's my hope. That is my ultimate goal. And to preserve these habitats um, for future generations, we, we don't understand what we've lost because we weren't alive in the 20s and the 30s. And again, I'm you know going to use a different area to to explain this but like 
you know, I dive down into a coral reef offshore now, and I'm struck by the incredible beauty of, you know, the hard and soft corals and the sponges and the wildlife, but that's nothing compared to what my grandparents could have seen if they were here. Um, or, you know, if I could go back in time, because we've lost so much biodiversity here as a result of a range of different factors in South Florida and, you know, all over the United States and the world that we just don't understand what we've lost. And I know that when I walk into the mangroves, what I see is a diminished version of what was there before. I have had the privilege of being able to walk into old growth mangroves, which is mind blowing. Most of the mangroves that I work in, you know, they're, I don't know, they might be at most 40 years old. Um, most of them were cut down earlier, but you walk into an old growth forest and just like, again, you know, if you're in the Northwest and you walk into like an old growth, uh, redwood forest, you're, you're just awestruck. Same thing. Like there's so much space in between the trees and there's so much more like the layered biodiversity everywhere, like in the root systems, in the canopy, up the trunks, um, in between those areas that you don't see. And even that is diminished from what it used to be. So what I want is for future generations to have these areas protected and to have them as in, in, in as much a natural state as possible so that they can recover and regain the biodiversity and regain the richness that they had that I don't even see now. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, you, you know, you make such a good point that our grandparents could have could have seen this in such a better way. And we are going to, we're seeing it in a better way than the next generation will if we don't do something about it. And yeah. so for you uh, and what you're doing, um, being an example, I know, you know, you, you're incredibly humble and I, I appreciate that. But what would you say is the best thing folks can do to help you, uh, to get involved with you? Is there any possibility for that? But also in, in their own homes, I know you shared a few steps, but um, what parting words would you want to share with folks to to get involved? I well, to help me personally, um, first thing I need to say is do not go into the mangroves by yourself and clean up trash. Please don't do that um, <laughs> because you can get hurt um, and you can do a lot of damage to a, a, a very sensitive environment. Um, I used to lead group cleanups pretty regularly, but unfortunately because of the COVID outbreak, uh, the county is not allowing me to lead groups um, with good reason. Um, I'm sure that once the pandemic ends, <laughs> finally, I will start leading group cleanups again, but uh, I don't want anyone to, you know, if you wanna share my content, cool, go ahead. Um, you know, find me on YouTube or on Facebook or on Instagram. That's that's great. But I'm much more interested in individuals taking initiative and, like I said, pressuring their local elected officials, especially if they live along the coast. But again, you know, the problem of trash affects every environment in this country and around the world. So pressure them to implement policies that would lessen the amount of plastic pollution found in our environments. Um and, you know, I can go, I feel like we would need like an entirely different podcast episode for me to, you know, lay out the resources that people can look uh, into in order to educate themselves on uh, the effects of 
marine pollution and what can be done to address it. But uh, things like plastic bag bans or styrofoam bans, Jesus, that is horrible material. Um, or just enforcement of, of already existing regulations, um, like trapping, for example, or fishing regulations, um, or ensuring that protected environments are not invaded by people that shouldn't be there. Um, but yeah, that's really what I want people to do. I want people, like I said, the point of what I do is not to get people in the mangroves to clean up trash. The point of what I do is so that people look at me and go, that guy's insane. And maybe I can do something that's a little less drastic in my own life. Maybe I can send an email or call some, call a representative or just talk to people around me and educate them on the importance of, of mitigating, uh, plastic pollution in the environment. Um, that's what I want people to do because, you know, I can spend the rest of my life cleaning the mangroves and, you know, maybe I'll get up to a hundred thousand pounds of trash. That's a drop in the bucket. But if you get a whole bunch of other people on their own, you know, and you accumulate smaller actions that will outweigh what I can accomplish alone by an order of magnitude. And that's what I want, what I want people to do. That's what it's going to take. You know, if everyone in Miami stopped in their tracks right this second, decide to do something, imagine that. Not just Miami, everywhere, all your listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Wherever you're listening from. They're all in Miami. No, I'm just playing. They're all over the world. <laughs> they literally are. I mean, we've got 150 countries that listen to every episode. So for listeners everywhere, there, there are people like Andrew around there who, who know what they're doing, who know how to clean these places, connect with them learn from them, learn the steps to take, reach out to your representatives, uh, take action. This is, we, you know, this show, the stories from this show come from these places. And if these places don't exist like they do now um, and like they used to, uh, we won't have stories to tell in the future. Um, it'll be just a lot of, tra it'll have to be trash cleanup stories because that's what we'll all have to be doing before we even go and enjoy them. So, Andrew, thank you for what you do. I can't, you know, wait to, I got to come join you or something. Do I want to be, yeah. I, I want to come join you for a cleanup or something um, and just learn from you because uh, we, we immediately see this issue where we've moved and want to want to do something about it. So yeah, thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us on the Adventure Sports Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you very much for providing me a literal microphone to talk about an issue that's very important. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>